0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of How the Dice Fall, a podcast from the Never Forever DM Discord server. I'm Gorello, and with me is my co-host Spider. Howdy. And this episode's guest, Joxel. Hello there. So, uh, Joxel, what are you what are you here to talk about today?
1: I'm going to talk about uh, beasts and monsters and the difference that, uh, that we make between them and uh, how defining the difference between beasts and monsters in, in your D&D campaign or other RPGs you might play uh, can be very, very beneficial for you. Sounds great. Yeah, what's,
0: what, what is the difference between monsters and beasts?
1: Well, that's the thing. It's not really there in D&D. The easy answer when someone asks you as a dungeon master what's the difference between a beast and a monster is that you're going to say, well, a monster is magical, right? A beast is, you know, like a wolf or a bear or a cow. A monster is anything that is not something we have in our world. But the thing is, that is not even by my definition. That is just factually incorrect with D&D. Sturges, for example, are classified as beast in the the monster manual, despite very clearly being, I hope, I really hope, something we don't have.
2: I really hope surges don't exist either. I, I like my
1: blood where it is. <laughs> um, so that got me thinking when I originally saw that uh, as to what the exact difference is. And I mean, as far as I can tell, the important one is just the one that you make yourself. Um, And I think answering that question is what makes a beast and a monster is very important. Because... Usually monsters, or at least for many DMs, I'm not going to say that everyone here doesn't do this, but a lot of DMs uh, tend to sort of use monsters as that always sort of magical and hostile sort of creature that's there to, to fight the party, or guard something, or be dangerous, right? And I think uh, implementing monsters a little bit more as beasts, uh, depending on the, the magic level of your setting, can really bring your world way more alive. Uh, to the forefront, so to speak.
2: Got it. So I'd like to just bring up a little thing real quick. So sure. we're not, just to specify, we're not necessarily talking about the, the, the thing that says monster, beast, construct, humanoid on a stat block. We're talking more about the concept of what a monster and
1: a beast is in a setting, correct? Exactly. The thing I mentioned with the Sturges was very much based on the stat block thing. But yes, what I'm talking about is how you can define it for yourself to make your world cooler. Got it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so I think I think I can think of maybe like okay. a pretty common example in a lot of worlds of what I think you're saying um, with like griffins, because in a lot of you know settings, yes. griffins are used as like mounts and they're kind of bred and stuff. When they're definitely monsters, um, yeah, in like a you know a setting sense, but they're treated
1: like beasts. Absolutely, and I think implementing more of that, implementing more, if you want a high magic setting, that is implementing more monsters as sort of just being like oh yeah we we have those we maybe breed those or eat them or whatever uh just makes your world more fantastical and it also just makes the monster or at least it gives you the ability to make monster encounters a little bit more interesting or a little more varied instead of just being oh you have to go and fight the big monster now and okay. i think that the first thing that i think of when i when i talk about this subject is have you guys watched avatar the like the one with the blue people sci-fi movie
2: Oh yeah yeah.
1: Or oh, I have not Right, okay, yeah. It's not that important. The plot is they go to a sci-fi world and there's a lot of sci-fi monsters there or beasts depending on the uh, and um he just like in Pocahontas the the marine sort of learns to live like with the natives and appreciate the land and stuff like that. And what you think of the movie is really irrelevant, but there is a scene in it that I just re- want to bring to to this podcast where He's learning about all the creatures, and in the beginning, he's been hunted by this. I think it's called like a Thanator. It's like a big, sort sort of looks like um like a phase beast. Uh, um, that's been chasing him. He barely escapes, and then as he's learning the land, it there's this this small clip where he's like brushing aside some leaves, and you see it just nesting with it with its cubs and just doing you know being doing nothing, just chilling, right. And I think it's exactly scenes like that can be very good perception fodder for your campaign if you want to bring that world a little bit more alive. When the players are looking around, tell them that they see maybe a wyvern circling a distant mountaintop or, yeah, monster nesting or digging through something or whatever, where it's not immediately a combat encounter. I think that really brings your world alive. This
0: isn't really, this isn't entirely a thing based on like, you know, having monsters be, well, monsters, but in this case, I guess beasts be domesticated or such, you just kind of treating them like they're just
1: wild animals. Exactly. Kind of. It's treating them as beasts. That's exactly my point, is that doing that, not not all the way, not for every monster, but a little bit more, or at least defining that line for your campaign, gives you a lot more to work with. And that also goes for combat encounters, Um, because, I mean, I would at least play a normal feral beast differently than I'd play like an evil, corrupted monster, you know what I mean? Totally. So, for example, generally, I say that aberrations, I consider them to be wholeheartedly monsters, right? They're pretty magical and Lovecraftian, maybe, even in, in nature. Um, and I don't mind sort of putting them in the players where it's like, this monster's evil and it's looking for things to kill because it's evil and magical, and that's, that's all I need. That's it, right? But when we're talking about the monsters that, uh, if you played The Witcher, would probably be called hybrids, so stuff like griffins, hippogriffs, uh, hydras, um, anything like that. Um, wyverns too. You have the chance to make. Oh, they just live here. They don't have to be inherently magical, right? I'd say stuff like golems or demons or devils are or usually or elementals are pretty magical in nature, right? Um, but totally. where you want to draw the line is completely up to you.
2: So generally, like it's a. You, can you sort of follow the rule of the more magical it is, the harder it is to justify it being a monster? Exactly. Got it. Or, or rather, being a how to justify it being a beast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, exactly. And I mean, hey, if you wanna uh, play aberrations as beasts, by all means. But I think it's just answering this questions of this question of sort of like how magical is my world? Like how how weird or unusual is it for people to see a wyvern? And how naturally does that creature act? Was it put here just to kill stuff, or what's the deal? Um, another example of implementing this in movies, I actually just referenced it before, it could be The Witcher, right? Have any of you played The Witcher? Yes.
2: I haven't played it, but I've, uh, I've, I've played a little bit.
1: Yeah, maybe seen the, the show, you know the concept. But there's the Witchers yeah. are these monster hunter people who became sort of important to the world because there was some event, I don't, I'm not that familiar with the lore, lore, so I don't hope anyone crucifies me for this, but um, who became important because there was this magical event called the Conjunction of the Spheres, Which meant that the magical world, plural I think, was merged with our normal world. And so monsters and magical things spilled over and became a thing in the real world. Um, So The Witcher, the take on this is actually kind of interesting because... All the monsters are, like, by definition, magical and sort of put there to be... Like, they're not naturally living there. They're sort of like an invasive species.
2: They all sort of fit in the category of
1: almost like aberrations. Exactly. Uh, because they're all, like, creative... None of them are just, like, born and bred here. Well, now they are, but to begin with, they, they weren't, right? Uh, so I think the Witcher has sort of an interesting take on dealing with it. And then in, in the other end of the spectrum, you have stuff like uh, Game of Thrones, which is, you know, the classical low magic setting that everyone references right is that you don't see there are dragons in game of thrones but you don't see them just randomly chilling right it's not like people are just oh there's a dragon over by that mountain that's cool because they're basically a mythical being right
2: yeah they're almost like uh, godified by the time that you're watching the show yeah that or or reading the books that the house targaryen doesn't exist anymore really and you know they're they're almost they're mythical. They don't really exist anymore. Yeah, they don't have their
1: dragons. Did they ever even really have them? Who knows, right? Like that's that's kind of the, the whole the whole thing. And and doing these or making these decisions for your campaign just makes it way more interesting. Because if you wanna have like a really high magic setting, if you want everything to be oh there's magic everywhere and wizards just chilling in the streets and make that with your creatures as well. Make make it so that um in the town square the the Queen's Knights are riding in on Pegasi or maybe something even more fantastical. Um, and in the in the fields, maybe you have not just oxen grazing, but maybe you have some magical version of that grazing as well. Um, owl bears are just maybe what there is instead of bears. Maybe you just don't really see bears because the owl bears outcompeted competed them uh, in the, the struggle for survival, right? Mm. And that just makes for if you want to convince people that your setting is deeply magical, I just think that's a very, very good way of going about it.
2: Totally. No, I see that definitely. There's a lot of potential in that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because if all your monsters, if you play or make all of them in your world as being magical and unusual, nothing wrong with doing that. You're very much allowed to. But that does also make the world seem a lot less fantastical. If everyone's like, oh, it's an bear or vibrant or whatever, and they're like, oh, what a magical creature. Then the players, even if they don't really think about it, they definitely get the... Um, the the concept that okay this this world is not that magical right like monsters aren't common
2: it shows the weight of it
1: exactly it's the completely same when you're like considering how normal wizards are in your world right like if you're if you're a sorcerer or warlock or whatever caster you have in your party they walk into the city square and just cast something will people go like oh my god like are they impressed by that or are they just like oh, everyone can do that you know
0: yeah, this is very interesting because I think I've kind of done things like this in some of my games without really thinking about it. Like e- even just a very recent example, in one of my games, I have a wyvern that got trapped underground and, and went blind and just is like trying to basically hunting various subterranean animals and such for their prey. Kind of fits into the into the beast. mold. they're just they're they're trapped there and kind of adapting to the situation. They're not just um, yeah it's just some a
1: fantastical bit. crazy creature that's you know. That's also a really cool way to just make a Wyvern potentially easy to beat. I, I really like that actually. But you're mentioning because they're trapped there, which makes me think of there was this one DD like comic slash meme I read like several years ago um, where someone was playing a video game, I think, and they were like, why are there so many monsters in this dungeon? And the guy they're playing with goes, because they live there. And then he starts feeling bad, right? Um, and I think just that because they live there is just show that to the players, right? Don't make the players feel like you're just throwing monsters at them. Throw like, make them feel like, oh, you're walking into the nest of whatever monster, into its territory. And I mentioned this also matters in how you play them in combat. And what I mean by that is, for example, most people have probably heard the, um, if it's black, fight back, brown, lie down, white, good night with bears, right? It's so like how, you, how to act if you encounter a bear in the wilds. A lot of animals are territorial, right? So a lot, of, even carnivores, if you encounter them and they're hostile, it's probably just because you're sort of trespassing and they just want you to fuck off, right? Make that, for some of your monsters at least, make that their goal. They don't have to be dead set on just killing the players. That doesn't have to be their only goal. Maybe the players are trespassing, maybe the monster is nesting um, or something else. And I mean, hey, sometimes maybe the monster is indeed hunting them, in which case it might not be just a normal combat encounter. It might be, oh, this is like sneaking after them and ambushing them or tracking them for a few days.
2: And yeah, the concept changes from sort of the monster trying to kill all of you, but it's just trying to find one of you to to get a snack and leave. And then there's a whole other element of chase to the scene where you have to save the player that's been grabbed by a group of harpies or a wyvern or some other monster, which in this case may be a beast. Sure.
0: And then it can also, it can also add interesting other ways to like solve fights without just up killing the killing the, the monsters. Maybe for example, your your camp is close to their lair, so you need to if you run away, the monsters won't chase you. Or maybe uh, they're scared of fire, and you can just you know wave them in their face because like you know any other oh, yeah. animal, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe you can just distract them with food. That's like a classic distracting a beast thing, right? But I feel like oftentimes people don't necessarily think about it with a monster because they're like, oh no, it's an evil monster, and we have to slay it. You know.
2: So with this, I think this whole thing brings up a question. How do we, I hate to put it this way, but how do we stop players from always trying to petify every non-hostile enemy they meet? Because I feel like that's a pretty common behavior.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it definitely depends on the group, I'd say. Um, maybe, I mean, I, th- I think first of all, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough question because you also don't want to be a dick about it, right? Like if the players really want to do it, fine. But you could, I think you could keep in mind that in the IRL a lot of creatures just aren't really able to be domesticated right like you can't really domesticate a tiger I mean they can like if you've seen it with like a uh, lion uh, prides where they're like they're like they recognize someone who raised them and they're all like oh we like this guy we're not going to just kill him immediately but even in those scenarios sometimes you see them just sort of like something goes wrong and they get angry or whatever and they just someone's found dead in their cage right so I think you can you can at least keep that in mind uh, with the players maybe clarify it even if they just ask if they're like hey can we tame this you can go well i mean you can probably keep it around with food and you can possibly keep it, it, it from attacking you but it's not going to be like your pet pet right this just in uh, miscommunication between
2: players and dungeon masters is solved from communication i should have seen that one coming
1: who who would have thought
2: yeah
0: and then i imagine there's also like some other some other ways if the if the players are being like very insistent on trying to do this maybe like they might even have some ways to do it like animal friendship or maybe um mm-hmm. maybe a ranger wants it as an animal companion that kind of thing and i imagine mm-hmm. there's other ways to either like um integrate that or like kind of discourage it in know in a more story sense so like maybe they get to
1: the nearest town i guess and and maybe there's interesting interactions there yep absolutely i mean that's another thing to consider a lot of people sometimes too much in my opinion Uh, bring up, you know, like, racism in D&D, right? It's like, oh, no one likes tieflings, so you're going to be hated in the next town over. Not that people are necessarily racist against animals, but that definitely also goes for them. If your party has, like, for, which would be insane, but has somehow befriended an owlbear who are known for their, like, vicious temperament, I feel like the town guards would probably be pretty hesitant on letting the party bring that into a town full of civilians, right? So you can definitely make it a little more... You don't have to, like disallow it. But just, you know, clarify that, hey, you can do this, but it's not really gonna, it's not like you're just gonna have a pet you can summon, like, in World of Warcraft, right?
2: Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess my, another question that I sort of have is, so, where do intelligent monsters start to lay on the spectrum? So, I I don't know if calling a dragon an intelligent monster would be correct, but there are monsters, there are things that live in the wilderness that have some semblance of intelligence more than the rest of the wilderness? And how does that sort of fit into this um, category?
1: Yeah. Uh, That's a really good question. I mean, and a a hard one to answer as well, because it really depends on what you want from your setting. I personally, uh, in in most of my settings, I generally tend to go towards the fact that intelligent monsters just stay as monsters. Not that you can't have them interacting or living in the world, because that's still a really good thing to do. But you don't necessarily have to rule them as just being entirely feral. The, the important part of uh, the most important part of all of this is to just show that they also live there even if they're not killing the players all the time. Um, so what, what I do is if we go with something like um, intelligent Monster, dragons is' actually a good example. Dragons, especially if you have a uh, fistbands uh, Treasure of dragons, can have like a lot of personality and mm-hmm. extra rules added to them. And I think it's a shame if people put dragons just as obstacles, uh, not because they, you have to call them beasts. Just because dragons are you can do so much with dragons they're intelligent they can be they can be conniving they can be cruel they can be aggressive there's a lot of different personality thrown in there um so i think you should always talking intelligent big majestic creatures such as dragons make sure that you don't go too much in the beast direction with them because then it's just a big stat block full of you know fire or whatever it's breathing right Mm.
2: That, that that makes sense. Some monsters actually really do benefit from staying monsters than being beasts. Now that I'm thinking about it. Exactly,
1: and I mean that distinction also becomes more apparent if you're if you're making this decision because then when you do show monsters that are just inherently magical and maybe even not even intelligent, maybe just like a demon, right? Yeah. Who you probably wouldn't just see walking around. It's easy for you to for you to justify playing that in a different way. For example, playing it in a way where it doesn't want food. It just genuinely wants to kill you Mm. because it's evil and it's mean. And that's just what it does. And it's been summoned from the fifth plane of of hell. Right. Yeah. So that distinction also becomes more apparent, which I think is a, is a good idea because I think speaking of clarity between DMS and players, I think a lot of um, players can sometimes be unsure of what to expect from a, from a given type of monster. I actually had uh, an interesting encounter like this with the players in my campaign about, I think half a year back. They had, uh, one of them had recently gotten fly, he's a warlock, and they had super cheesed uh, fight against the Tyrannosaurus they'd encountered because he like all the rest had been obliterated really quickly. I didn't mean for them to fight it. Actually, it's an example of this backfiring. I didn't mean for them to fight it, and they decided to fight it anyway, and they got kind of mogged. But he had fly, so he flew up into the air and he just bombarded it, and there's not really anything it could do about that, mm-hmm. and then it ran off, right? But then after that, maybe two or three sessions after that, uh, they were exploring this uh, sunken demon city that's, like, fallen into a swamp. And they encountered... I don't remember the specific type of demon. It's the one that looks sort of centaur I I don't remember what it's called. I think it's from Volos or mm. Um And they, uh, there were other demons there as well. But they got, they got defeated. Uh, except the guy who used fly again. And they were like, oh, yeah, now he's going to do fly. It doesn't have a ranged attack. But this demon had, I think, 11 or so intelligence. So it just... It just held the other player's hostage. Got it. And, and he, he kind of had to land. Um, and I think stuff like that is is cool to, to clarify with the players because, of course, we talked about it after the session and I explained to them that, hey, this wasn't to, like, gotcha you, but this thing is too intelligent to not know what to do when you're doing that. So it sets up that sort of boundary with the players that now they also know for the next fight they have where they might want to use fly, that, oh, hey, intelligent enemies might do this and that, whereas enemies that are entirely feral are not going to do that.
0: Yeah, and kind of kind of going into that, I think for a lot of, you know, of the monsters that you would use more as beasts, I think I think it's like the the way you, you could, I guess, kind of figure out what they would do would be based on their wisdom. It's like wiser creatures yeah. might be able to plan and such. What... What kind of differences would you do for, like, a, a creature with higher wisdom? Like, we've been talking about wyverns. Wyverns mm-hmm. do have 12 wisdom, um, even yeah. though they're not pretty smart. How would you kind of
1: play that differently? Yeah, so wisdom and intelligence are two stats that I think are very important for monster behavior. I generally think of it sort of as, I mean, similar to the stats that you have on players, right? Um, wisdom Creatures with high wisdom are more capable of not necessarily, like, planning strategizing but are more capable of having sort of an um having an mo having like a, an example of it irl could be um painted dogs wild dogs if you've ever heard or read about those um it's a it's a species of wild dog that live in africa and they, they use really complex haunting stra- hunting strategies like really complex with like taking over for each other so they don't get tired out goading creatures uh, beasts Sorry, real creatures um, into, uh, into somewhere where they can't run away, stuff like that. Um, I see that as a creature that doesn't have a high intelligence, but has a high wisdom. It's capable of sort of not just running at the nearest thing and attacking it, right? So the higher wisdom a creature has, I see it as that sort of maybe you'd call it impulse control. It's still instinctually driven because it doesn't necessarily have a high intelligence. But those instincts are better at making it strategize a little bit instead of just being like, ooh, first big thing, we run up and chop it. Got it.
2: And I, I would like to mention that, um, so as a person who loves that sort of tactical edge of D&D, um, or just mm. tabletop games in general, I actually have a copy lying on my desk right next to me of The Monsters Know What They're Doing, mm, Yeah. which is a, a really good resource for this conversation. Um, Definitely. I w- that we That talks a lot about monster behavior based off of stats. So for anyone who's looking for further reading, not plugged, but I think that's a good resource. Um there's a blog and there is a book. I believe it covers everything in the monster manual. So
1: Also not plugged, but I one hundred percent support that. It's a it's a great read for specifically that. And you hey if you're really out there with it, you could use it for designing NPCs as well. Yeah, I should probably read that
0: because I've heard I've heard about it a lot and there's a lot of things that I've that are probably in there that I, I I'd be interested in.
2: Um, it's really good. And uh, just another thing. So I'm, I just cracked open my copy of the monster manual. And I'm looking at this. And there there, almost appears to be like almost a little like a bit of a design, design decision between some of these things. Like if you look mm-hmm. at some of these monsters, they almost sort of fall into one of those categories. Not easily, but can be relatively well decided on. There, there aren't some monsters that are like, this is, you're not really sure if it's a monster or a beast. There are some of them that really do fit into one of those categories pretty well.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely, and, and and like I said, is it's not like you're not allowed to put monsters that are just monsters in your campaign. Uh, so when you see some of those where you're like, yeah, that's that's just a monster, that's not not a beast. How would that survive IRL? Um, you're very free to just act it as a monster. Just make sure, and I think this is actually good advice for D D in general. Make sure that ha- that you have a reason for it being there, uh, at least just a small one. Doesn't have to be like a whole investigative. Uh, adventure that the players go on but just that if they decide to sort of snoop around you can go like oh yeah you know if it was demon maybe in the next town over or heading to it you might there'll be there'll be a, be a cave where someone used a summoning circle to summon it or whatever else explanation you find appropriate mm. but just adding that one level of groundedness even it doesn't matter if you consider them monster or beasts but just adding that that extra level of why are they here outside of just killing the players uh, I think is um, is interesting. Also, makes for more interesting world building for yourself. Uh,
2: so, have you thought of any really good sort of role reversals of this? So, take a monster that you think is pretty generally like. Let's say, like we can we can take an example of let let's say let's say a dinosaur, just to say it. Yeah. Um. Have you found any things of like maybe making a a monster very beast like or a beast very monster like? Have you found any like uh, results in that?
1: Uh, yeah, so I think the I think the most obvious one that I find to be a very um, very beast like uh, monster is the owl bear. I mean, the owl bear is it's it's just a bear that's mixed with an owl, right? It's like there's in my in my opinion, I don't really see why you wouldn't just call it a beast. And honestly, I feel like most DMs also sort of just rule it as a beast, right? Because it, it's easy to plop into a forest. Like, sure, yeah, of course there are owlbears in the forest. And on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, there are beasts that are very monstrous. You mentioned dinosaurs yourself. And I mean, seriously, if we're if you didn't know what any of these things were, someone showed you a picture of, like, a Tyrannosaurus rex, and then a picture of an owlbear. I mean, I personally would find the Tyrannosaurus to be way more monstrous looking than the owlbear. The Tyrannosaurus is almost a dragon, right? Now that you mention that, that makes a lot of sense. So I mean, hey, you can do that too, I and mean, because that's another thing, dinosaurs. You don't have to like work evolution into your D and D game if you don't want to, but you can. You can if you if you want dinosaurs to be super fantastical. I can definitely see an argument for that. You're like, well, I mean, most of these died ten million years ago, so it's kind of weird that they're here now. Maybe do like a Jurassic Park twist on it.
0: Yeah, and kind of kind of tied to to like this when you are, I guess. Um beastifying a monster, do you do you, uh, ever, like, change anything mechanical about it, or just change, like, their flavor, or even, not even change their flavor, but just kind of make it more visible to players?
1: Uh, generally, I don't feel like I have to, but what I do do sometimes is that if, so, for example, I mentioned that you can also make beasts a bit more fantastical. The issue with that, and the reason I think a lot of DMs use monsters as monsters and beasts as, as beasts is, is because the beast's challenge ratings just don't really go that high. Like, yeah, you have giant bears, you have giant crocodiles, and you've, you have dinosaurs, which are probably the highest CR uh, beast you're going to you're gonna find out there, right? But if you guys want, if, if you want the players to just encounter, not like a specific, like, owl bear or anything like that, but just like a really big bear, not a giant bear, but like a huge bear, right? Like in Elden Ring, if any of you played that. Um, Got it. You absolutely can, and you can definitely rule that as a monster. You can definitely go, oh, wow, uh, bears definitely don't get this big uh, big normally, right? Like, that's not normal. Maybe, maybe giant bears, but we don't see a bear who's huge or gargantuan, so maybe there's some magic at play there. You can absolutely do that.
2: Got it. So there, there's definitely merit in both beastifying monsters and monsterifying beasts.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think playing with that line is exactly also what makes the players sort of... Um, reconsider their conceptions of what's what. And and that's what I think makes for a, a magical campaign, right? That the, the players also go, oh, all right, so that's, you know, cool. That Like, I might not find a bear in this forest because maybe bears just don't exist here.
0: Makes sense. Kind of, it's just a very, can be a small um, thing that just hits players as something that's different about the setting and makes it feel unique.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head uh, right there. It's it's it, it sets the setting apart a little bit it clarifies to the players that, hey, this isn't exactly what you're expecting. It doesn't have to be like, ooh, this is going to be super weird and surreal, but just this isn't every other fantasy setting that you've ever seen, right? This isn't Warcraft. This isn't Lord of the Rings. This is something slightly different. I think that's a cool thing to do.
2: Got it. Well, I think I'm pretty much all out of questions now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, I have a, actually have another one. What do you think about um, adding fey creatures to the mix? So like hags and um, other things that that are classified as fey, Where does that sort of fit in this? And in, in your in your specific lines that you draw?
1: Right. So I personally uh, find uh, fey creatures to be a little hard to explain as uh, to brush off as, as beasts because generally in the way they look, in the, their abilities, in uh, the way in their lore. You can change that, though, if you want. Uh, they are just very inherently magical-looking, right? Because a lot of them have stuff that, that are, like, genuinely magical effects. But if I did want to do it, if I, if I did feel like, oh, um, this fake creature, I want it to unicorn, whatever, I want it to be just a beast, um, I think your best bet is trying to reflavor specifically the magic effects. Uh, so mm. it, say you have a fake creature that can cast um uh, what's it called? The dazzling lights? I don't remember what it's dazzling called. Dazzling Lights, but the... That's a spell. It is dazzling lights, cool. I forgot. Um say you have a fake creature that can cast that. That's pretty like fey Vibe kind of spell. Um Dancing Lights, actually sure thinking.
2: Just... Dancing lights? I think Dancing Lights, there you're go. right. Yeah,
1: yeah, dancing lights, absolutely. Dancing lights. Um uh, just make sure to clarify when it does that that it's not casting a spell. So if you want to do it with any creature, if you want to give a beast spells and you want to make it, oh, it's not a magical effect, it's just the creature, make it bioluminescent or let it um, have pores that release small bulbs of light that explode or whatever you want. But if you add that level of explanation to it, you can make pretty much any creature quote-unquote non-magical. And I just think that's uh, that's another aspect of it that you can play with. If you don't want it to be casting... um, Fireball, I mean, a dragon is a great example of this, right? Dragons don't cast Fireball, they just have a Breath Attack. The Breath Attack, it works exactly as a magical effect, but it isn't, because it's just what the dragon's doing. So you don't even really have to change it mechanically, though, if you're incredibly thorough, you can. You can just reword it from it casting the spell to it creating the effect. I think that's a little overkill, but you can do that. Just make sure to explain how it's doing it. Oh, it's a casting cold person. Oh, actually, it's um, it's an arachnid and it's it's spraying like web over you that's restraining you entirely, right?
2: Or, or paralyzing.
1: Oh or, yeah, yeah, par- yeah. Maybe it's electric web like in Pokemon, or maybe it's just doing a ranged poison attack, or whatever you want. If you really want to get freaky with it. Uh, take a uh, take a page out of that unearthed Akana class. The was it the scholar wizard or something like that? Uh, there was a wizard subclass in unearthed Arcana that could sort of change the saving throws of their spells. Um, lore lore mastery. Uh, take a page out of that book and and change the save. So if you feel like it makes more sense with the spiders webbing someone up, change hold person from wisdom to a con save or strength save. Got it. Because that I think that'll really drive it home with the players as well. So they don't just feel like you reflavored a spell, but you're actually you can still use the same effect though, no one will know.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's like just very good advice in general, I think, for like anyone who's looking to reflavor, even if they're not looking to make beasts. because that kind of thing is just you know, you don't even if you don't say you don't say I cast old person, you say, Oh, this this monster stings you or something, make a constitution save and they don't know what's
1: in you know yeah maybe they do if they're if they're also dm yeah i agree i think that makes it so much more interesting and it just makes it cooler um there is the, the only issue that can be with that is that it might not be clear to players that they can counter spell it but you can work with that as you want uh, i mean you i don't th- see anything wrong with just making it non counterspellable that raises the, the the cr a little bit but still fine
0: um i think i have um, i have
1: at least one more question
0: so very early on, you kind of gave a couple little suggestions for um, ways to kind of introduce this this kind of thing. Small, like um, adding wyverns, kind of flying, yeah. flying above a mountain, or um, you know, adding monster nests and such. What are some mm-hmm. like tips you'd give to a DM who just wanted to add add a little bit of this to their games?
1: Yeah. So the the easy ones are just making it what I call perception fodder. And if you're a new DM, you might not know the term, even if you're experienced one, you might not. It's just one I use often. Um, perception fodder is just when your players are walking somewhere into a cave, maybe out in the open. Some of them, depending on how, how used they are to, to d and and depending on how many trap, depending on how much of a dick you are to them, they might be throwing out perception checks randomly just to make sure that they aren't getting uh, snuck up on by something large and unpleasant. Perception fodder is what I give players when there really is nothing to see, but I don't want the perception of, let's say, 22 to just be like, you see nothing, move on. Then I throw some perception fodder in there. So for for all of the areas I make, just like I make random encounters, I also make a d6 or a d10, depending on how inspired I am, of perception fodder. Um, So when the players say, I roll an 18 on perception, I can say, oh, you see an ancient statue with blah, 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 blah. Put some of the animals in there. Uh, non-combat encounters? I mean, if the players really want to fight them, sure, let them, that's fine. But just throw that in there. They roll an 18 on perception. Oh, you see, um, you see a, a, a bullet or bullet, depending on how you pronounce that, that, like, churns out of the earth maybe 200 feet out and then immediately burrows again in a different direction. Or maybe a creature getting swooped up by a, a Wyvern and the Wyvern immediately flies off. Or... As as I, I um said at the start, something simple wyvern circling a mountain top in the distance. Um, you see an owl bear bringing meat to its cubs. You uh, can also do it on a bit smaller scale, maybe not seeing the monster in and of itself. Just go like, oh, you see um, you see a footprint, and if they have a good nature check or survival check, I suppose, say, oh, uh, this looks like the footprint of an owl bear, or maybe a wyvern briefly landed here, or a large pile of dung. Yeah, yeah. Let them identify the feces. I mean, yeah, go for it. That would that would actually be a cool little lore thing uh, to let whoever has nature uh, nature checks uh, on a high uh, on a high skill level. Um, let them identify identify the feces and then give them the hints. Right. So you're like, ooh, th- there's a lot of uh, whatever that a wyvern eats in uh, in these. Um, that that'll also give a slightly gross but still interesting insight into your world. I'd say.
2: I, I also think that that there, there's also a lot of um, potential for foreshadowing here. If your players are only like level two or three, but you want them to fight a wyvern at some point, or you think that that maybe at some point there's a mage, like maybe a mage finds a way to control a wyvern, like yeah, that could be a really way, really cool way to like foreshadow the fact that there's a wyvern in the area, and when you fight it in three levels, this was the foreshadowing behind it.
1: Absolutely. And also, that helps if you have new players or just players that are incredibly non meta It also lets you um, foreshadow or like hint at some of the mechanics you might have in that fight. So wyverns famously have that stinger tail. So you could show either a wyvern killing something or you could just show an animal that has been like killed by a very strong poison. Uh, venom sorry and um and then on a sufficient investigation nature survival whatever you want to do it, tell them that oh this is uh this is seemingly venom venom from xyz monster so they'll know oh shit okay one of those is in the area maybe even make an anti venom
0: yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense that can definitely um be very good i think i've definitely gotten a new appreciation for foreshadowing even if it's just like throwing random stuff around and seeing what might come up later because um i can definitely like just add a ton to a campaign
1: that's cool i happy it's somewhat useful uh i at least use it a lot
2: i think also not only just for, it's not only just good for foreshadowing purposes but like uh if we take a look at like there's there's been a big trend lately of people quote unquote on reddit anyway re-understanding the way that D encounters are supposed to be sort of like spaced out and how a lot of people don't allow like long rests on long travel journeys or stuff like that to keep the feel of like a dungeon almost built around those long travel journeys. I've I've seen a couple of things like a, this can be really useful to ratchet up some of the tension. Yeah. So you know you're in an area with wyverns now that you won't be able to sleep fully and get a long rest until you find town. Now there's almost like a bit of a clicking top, a clicking clock until when will you have to fight with the wyvern or get home safe
1: absolutely yeah that that sort of plays into the i mentioned that one of the encounters if if what you choose for the behavior for your animal if if that behavior is oh it wants to hunt one or several of the players it also lets you make them maybe find tracks around their camp and they're like oh something is something stalking you right uh which will also add to that that tension
2: got it
0: yeah so um, is there any is there anything else you want to say before we before we move mm-hmm. on
1: uh i think maybe just a last little note if it's just in case you want to reference specific media the monster hunter games are really good at this like most of the animals there even the smaller ones and even the bigger ones uh, they all interact with each other both in the way that they, they'll fight but also like some of them will eat the wildlife some of them won't some of them flee some of them don't if if someone who's listening to this podcast feels like they just need some inspiration generally to to see how monsters might act take a page out of monster hunter's book and maybe just watch like a few hunts on youtube if you haven't if you don't have the game and see what kind of behavior you can steal
0: yeah that's uh definitely very good advice all right um thank you very much for for coming on i i really enjoyed
1: talking to you it was my pleasure totally great 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 topic
0: yeah do you have any any social media or anything you want to you want to plug
1: I actually don't I'm not really on uh, on anywhere and I don't I don't stream or anything like that uh, so uh I mean the only pluggable thing would be just messaging me if someone wants to ask something about this they're more than welcome to I don't mind and I usually read my discord messages pretty quickly
2: so can you leave a discord tag there
1: uh sure yeah it's a joxel uh two X's, two L's, and the number, let me see, I always forget, put it here, Uh, so joxel hashtag 7002. We will put that in the show notes.
0: Alright, I hope you all enjoyed that first episode of How the Dice Fall. Make sure to let us know what you think. I believe this is the first time for both me and Spider doing something like this, so any feedback or thoughts or really whatever are welcome. If you liked it, Make sure to let us know, and we'll keep doing these podcast episodes in the future with all kinds of fancy topics and everything.